Welcome to our series, and there's still people coming in, so if you got room in the middle, scoot in if you would, and uh, I encourage you one more time to avoid the 11 o'clock. It's always our most crowded. We've got a lot of room on Saturday night. Um, welcome to our series. We're talking about, uh, my friend has a question. We just did a survey. We asked our people to tell us what, what is it that your friends want to know? What do they want to know about us? What do they want to know about God? Anything they want to ask. And the top five things we came up with were, were this. And, and we talked about our church and Catholicism and the difference uh, between them the first week. We talked about hell last week. And today we're talking about homosexuality. We're just not going to run away from it. We're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about it straight up. I know that some of you are here today and you're gay and you're wondering how we're going to handle this subject. And we want to say a big welcome to you. We're glad that you're here. Some of you, uh, most of you are probably here because you know somebody that's gay and or you've got a family member or whatever and you want to know how to handle it. You want some help with that. You want to know what we're going to say. Most of you are here because you know me and you know that this topic is going to give me a perfect opportunity to say something stupid and you want to be here live for it. Can we just be honest? I know, I know, you're just like, so, okay, here we go. Homosexual, a lesbian, a rabbi, and a priest walk into a bar. Ah, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Two things, okay? Two things. Um, I, I really want to ask you to stay through this whole thing, okay? Because it's going gonna, it's gonna to take some dips and turns, and, and, and I think the end is the most important thing you can hear. So unless you have to leave, you know, if your number comes up and your kid's holding the nursery hostage, then please go get your kid. But, you know, stay for this and, and listen and hear me out. Second thing is, this is not political, okay? I know that Obama and the Defense of Marriage Act have been in the news a lot lately, even in the last week, and there's a lot of talk in political and, and sociological issues and realms about this issue. That's not what this sermon is, okay? Disclaimer right up front. My friend has a question, um, would Jesus have gay friends? That's what I'm talking about, okay? I would be preaching it differently probably if this was about the political arena or the, or the social things that are going on in our world. That's not what I'm doing. I want to talk about you and your friends and Jesus and his friends and how he would interact. Okay. My wife and I were in uh, Palm Springs several years ago and we were uh, killing time before we caught a plane. We, we had a little time to kill. So we were in downtown Palm Springs and we're just kind of walking along trying to, you know, just kill some time, go in some shops. And so we're walking along, you know, a lot of times you don't even notice the store. You're just walking along, you see a window. Oh, so there's this clothing, this men's clothing store. And I decided to uh, go in. And so she came in with me and we're walking around looking in this men's clothing store and they're very nice looking clothes. But I realized I don't recognize any of the brands, oddly. You know, there's no Lee, there's no Hager, there's no, you know, Levi's in there. There was different kinds of brands. And then I noticed that the magazines, there was a magazine rack, and it was a little interesting. And, and there were a couple of, you know, some jewelry things going on. And it, I just felt like I was in a different place. So we walked out, and we turned around, looked up at the sign, and sure enough, we had been in Gay Mart. I'm not making it up. That's the name of the store in Palm Springs. You can look it up. It was called Gay Mart. And I've thought about that experience multiple times, and it was uncomfortable for me. And I've thought about that experience several times since then. And I thought about it in relation to this message. And the truth of the matter is, that's exactly where Jesus would have gone. That's exactly where I should have gone. That's exactly where I needed to be. Did Jesus have gay friends? Obviously, he had gay friends. If I can draw from a larger spiritual picture, Jesus walked into our world 2,000 years ago to be flesh and live among us. Those of us who were sinners in all different kinds of ways. So let's just start there. 
Okay. Uh, Why did he do that? Because he wants to understand us and he wanted us to know that he understands us. So he walked into our world full of sin and became one of us. Okay. And I'm going to do my best to walk into your world today on purpose this time. If you're gay, I uh, got a lot of insight for this sermon from a book called Loving Homosexuals as Jesus Would. Author's name is Chad Thompson. Loving Homosexuals as Jesus Would. He is a former gay who uh, ministers to those in and out of the LGBT community. Um, can, can, I just do, can I just say this right up front? That's the correct way to term this, you know, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transsexual. That's the correct term. If I start doing initials, I'm going to end up with the NAACP and the ASPCA and the NCAA, and you're going to get thinking about basketball. So I'm just going to use gay and homosexual, okay? Chad Thompson is a former, a former homosexual who ministers to those in and outside of that. My daughter Lauren heard him speak at Wheaton and got, got me his book, and it's been phenomenal for me to think through what it was like for him to be a homosexual and what it is like now for him ministering to people that are homosexuals, okay? He said, somebody came up to him and said, after he gave a talk, and said, thank you so much. I feel like I've been given permission to love my gay son. And he said, well, I thought her discovery was wonderful. I had to ask myself, what in the world ever made her think she couldn't love her gay son? Jesus loves everyone, and so should we. And I hope to help you with that today. Remember, the Bible tells us, John tells us that we love because he first loved us. We don't love because, we love because he first loved us and we take his love. And I can hear some of you saying right now, but Tim, how can we share the gospel with them without preaching the truth first? Read that without pointing out the sin in their lives. And and I do understand that the gospel can't be good news until someone knows why it is good news. But they will never figure out that it is good news if you're standing on a street corner with a God hates you sign. Those idiots from the Westboro Baptist Church in Kansas make me crazy. I know that God is big enough to save murderers from hell, and he can do whatever he wants. But I'm going to say right now, if God lets that guy into heaven, heaven better be really big, and it better be a million years of sanctification before I run into him, because he is so wrong. Listen to me. The only loving way to share the gospel with someone is to tell them the truth in such a way that they can respond. Jesus did this. Paul did this. All throughout the Bible, they did this. Paul said, I become all things to all people so that I might win some of them. Paul walked into... Athens, a Greek town in Acts chapter 17, and he walked into an arena where there was religious things going on, but they were worshiping all these different idols. Now I ask you, does Paul think that it's okay to worship idols? Of course not. I mean, it's one of the first commandments. It's Paul is a, is a Pharisee. He's been trained in that. He knows that you're not supposed to worship idols. He knows that's a bad thing. So did Paul walk into the Areopagus and say, Man of Athens, you are going to hell because you're worshiping idols. I practice that voice every once in a while just in case I need it. Did he do that? No. I will tell you what he did. He walked in. He swallowed his moral conviction for just a moment. He looked around. He saw one statue that was to an unknown God. And he said, hey, you know what? Can I tell you about this unknown God? And he proceeded with that cordial message 
to tell them about the one true God. He illustrated it for us. He set aside his moral judgment and demonstrated the love and the truth of the gospel. Would Jesus have gay friends? Very simply. I'm sure that he would, and I'm sure that he did. But since we don't have a record of it, I'm going to point you to a parallel passage. I believe it's a parallel passage. It'll take us in a parallel direction, okay? I didn't want to just come up with my own opinions on this. I really wanted to take a moment and study how Jesus interacted with those who were outside of the, of the sexual morals of his time, okay? And we find that, and I got this idea from Mark Middleberg, whose book is out there. I highly recommend it. Uh, tough questions that Christians hope no one will ask, and it's available for you out there. What he did is he took the parallel passage of the woman at the well in Samaria... And he said, let's take a look at this. So I want to invite you to John chapter 4, and we're going to take it that direction. John chapter 4, verse 4. Jesus left Judea and returned to Galilee, and he had to go through Samaria on his way. Now, you've got to understand something about this, okay? You've heard the, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Uh, and that was such a such a uh, such a different concept for people because Samaritans and Jews don't get along. Okay, the Samaritans were looked down on by the Jews. They worshipped God, but kind of in a separate, different way. They were kind of like cousins, but they really didn't like them. So eventually, he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, who was tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Let me explain that phrase. Jesus had to go through Samaria. Okay. The truth of the matter is the shortest distance between two points was to go through Samaria. But as I said, most Jews did not go that direction because they didn't even want to go into that area. If I might, give me a lot of latitude here. Samaria was game art for them in a way. It was a place that they weren't comfortable with. It was a place where people did things differently than they did. And nobody went into Samaria. But Jesus had to go to Samaria. Why? Well, his purpose statement when he was talking to Zacchaeus and other social outcasts of his day was that I have come, the Son of Man came, to seek and to save those who are lost. So I believe Jesus had to go through Samaria because he wanted to demonstrate the fact that he loves all people, including Samaritans. Verse 7. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. So the woman was surprised for the Jews don't have anything to do with the Samaritans. And she said to Jesus, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Mark Middleberg said this is a glimpse of God extending himself to an outcast member of an outcast culture. In fact, I suspect it was more than she happened to be a Samaritan, he said. I think Jesus chose to reach out to her in part because she was a Samaritan. Because that's who he always hung out with, the colorful, sinful, messed up background people. That's who Jesus was always with. How does this apply to the issue of homosexuality? I believe Jesus would have gay friends because Jesus loves everyone. And the first principle we can draw from Jesus' response to the Samaritan woman is that we should affirm God's love for all people. The Apostle Paul, talking to Timothy, said, God, our Savior, wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. Surely everyone there means everyone. I talked about this last week. So when Jesus said God so loved the world, that means he loved people with same-sex attractions. I believe Jesus would reach out to homosexual men and women with the same kind of love and intentionality that he showed to this Samaritan woman. God doesn't hate gays, Mr. Phelps. He loves them very clearly. But notice that the Samaritan woman was also surprised. She was surprised that a religious leader would actually talk to her from Judaism. 
That's Jesus. That's who he is. Jesus was at one time, uh, he was one time labeled a glutton and a drunkard by the Pharisees, the religious leaders. Why? Because he was always partying with the not so good people. And so he wasn't a glutton. He wasn't a drunkard. He obviously wasn't those, one of those. But he was always with people. And so they couldn't figure out how to label him. And finally they called him a glutton and drunkard. And then at one point, finally in the book of Luke, they finally said, you know what? You're a friend of sinners. Which cracks me up so much because Jesus would have said, yay, you finally get it. They thought it was a cut down and Jesus was like, yes, you finally got through your thick school. As a matter of fact, I believe that if Jesus had a car and had a personalized license plate, neither of which I don't think he would have ever done, this would have been his personalized license plate. Friendo sinners right there. You can have eight letters in Israel, I checked, okay? Now, if, <laughs> if you're... Okay, it, that's Jesus's license plate. Friend of sinners. That's who he is. So let me let me help you out with this. If you're here and you're gay, I don't want you to hear me calling you a leper or a prostitute or a tax collector or a Samaritan. I'm not trying to call you spiritual riffraff. I'm saying that I can understand the fact that society has made you feel that way. And for that, I apologize. I apologize for any gay jokes or inappropriate comments that I've made or implied over the years. And I really apologize for Christians that have made you feel like God might love you less because of your sexual orientation. Mr. Phelps is wrong. Have I said that enough yet? Now, what I am saying is that I know there are times that you feel like a leper or a tax collector. Actually, what I'm saying is I'm not sure Jesus would have had any friends that weren't outcasts from society. I mean, we don't see very many. Think about the women around the tomb. Think about his followers, his, his disciples, his apostles. Think about who those people were. And I'm pledging to you that Parkview is a place that you could call friend of sinners as well. This woman was an outcast. Most Bible commentators believe that the reason she was there at noon was because she was outcast from her world. I mean, why would you go at noon to the well to draw water? Wouldn't you go early in the morning? Wouldn't you go in the evening? That's when all the other women went. Why was she there at noon? Probably because she knew if she went any other time, the women would be there and they would be talking about her. Why? Because she was living with someone she wasn't married to. Because she'd been married five times. Because sexually, she was outside of the correct relationship with God. So Jesus said to her, If only you knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. Just like the woman caught in the act of adultery, Jesus didn't try to change her behavior before offering her the life-changing gospel of living water. Okay, Because you can't change from the outside in. You can only change from the inside out with the power of Jesus Christ. I talked about that in the temptation series. All of us come to Christ with messed up morals. All of us come to Christ utterly helpless. That's what Paul said in Romans 5. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. All of us. Romans 4, he said that it's Jesus who justifies the wicked. He doesn't justify the righteous, not the people that think they've got it all figured out. He justifies the wicked. In Mark 2, Jesus said, on hearing this, I say to you, it's not the healthy who need the doctor, but it's the sick. I have come not to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus had gay friends. And because of his love, I believe that Jesus would make sure that his friends understood God's design. And so he takes the conversation to a new level. Verse 16. 
Well, go and get your husband, Jesus told her. He could have avoided this conversation, but he didn't. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. And Jesus said, you're right. I know. I know you don't have a husband. You have had five husbands, and you're not married to the man you're living with now. I know all this. You spoke the truth. And the woman said, sir, you must be a prophet. So Jesus started off into discussion, I think, as lightly as he could. He didn't say, well, you can't have living water, you tramp. God hates you. I'm going to go pick at a military funeral, did he? He said, no, here, let, let me just, uh, let, uh, I'm not going to let it go, okay? <laughs> Jesus didn't do that. But he did want her to know the truth of God's plan. So he told her, already admitting, already knowing the situation, to go and get her husband. Because, listen to me. The love of Jesus would not allow him to leave her living outside of the way that God created her to live. If he loved her, he couldn't couldn't do that. So my sermon would never work if I didn't tell you the way that God designed you. Okay? And before we jump into this, let me clue you in on me just a little bit. I know that some of you think I'm just a hick preacher from Oklahoma who doesn't understand the 21st century. Okay? And to a certain extent, you're right. I'm a hick and I'm from Oklahoma. Okay? But... And I've never had a homosexual temptation in my life, honestly. Probably because if you take a good look at my close associates, I mean, seriously, who would? (laughs) There it was. Okay, we got it. But I (laughs) I do want you to know two things, okay? Number one, I have an earned doctorate in religion. Okay, I didn't get off the internet. I actually know how to translate scripture and I may be wrong about scripture But it's not for ignorance. Okay, it may just be because i'm wrong and and you're right I, I i'm not saying i'm right about everything, but I know how to do this And number two this one right really surprised you. I lived my entire life with an aunt who was a lesbian I know you think I live in disneyland, you know and everything, you know, there's little fairy birds come and dress us in the morning and you know <laughs> Sing Cinderella songs, but but I live in the real world too and all of my life my aunt was gay And we knew she was gay and we talked about it and we loved her and we she died eight years ago of breast cancer But we're still in contact with her life partner I would admit to you that I wish we would have done things better with our kids I wish my kids would have spent more time with aunt judy I don't believe it was because of her sexual orientation. It's because she lived in Albuquerque. I mean, she was, she was a long way away. and She didn't come here, and we didn't go there very often. But I do live where you live. So this is not an arm's-length deal for me, okay? Jesus and I have to tell you that God's way to live is the best way to live. There's an old preacher story that I can't substantiate about Beach, the man who invented a lot of the aircrafts. You've heard of Beechcraft. You've heard of Beach. He was the guy who invented it. He lived during World War II, and he was getting ready to get on one of his airplanes to fly in a storm, one of his small airplanes that he had designed. And it was, it was stormy out, and he was worried about it. And he said, look, ladies and gentlemen, there's just a, it's a small flight. Just a few people were getting on. He said, ladies and gentlemen, I designed this plane, and I don't think we should fly in this weather. And the pilot said, well, it's true. He designed this plane. It's his plane. But I have flown this plane hundreds of times, and we'll be fine. Let's go. Only one woman disembarked. That plane took off, got into the storm, it crashed, and everybody died. Only one woman listened to the designer. Illustration for, it's really important that you understand, and maybe you don't believe this, and that's okay, you don't have to, but if you understand that God designed you in the first place, that you should listen to the way he designed you, because the best way to live is the way that he set it up. And Jesus knew this. 
God set it up in the very beginning of the human race, Genesis 2.24. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united as one. God's design from this simple statement in Scripture, which is repeated by Paul and Moses and Jesus, is that there should be one man and one woman for a lifetime united in marriage. And it should start something like this. Andrew placed the ring on Melissa's hand and repeat after me. I, Andrew Paul Daniel Ingstrom. I'm not putting it on the wrong way. I, Andrew Paul Daniel Ingstrom. I, Andrew Paul Daniel Ingstrom. Do take Melissa Renee Warren. Do take Melissa Renee Warren. To be my lawfully wedded wife. To be my waf- lawfully. <laughs> and pancakey. <laughs> I've been scared of this all my life. Watching, uh, we've been watching how you could screw a wedding up so many different ways as we prepare for our daughter's impending nuptials, um, hoping that won't happen. Even, that, even Jesus said, haven't you read in Matthew 19, the scriptures, they record from the beginning that God made them male and female. And he said, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. And the two are united into one. Since they are no longer two, but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. Jesus believes very clearly in a biblical ideal, God's design, one man, one woman for a lifetime. Anything outside of that is outside the will of God. Paul said sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. This biblical backdrop creates the framework for us to assess, to, to assess any sexual activity. And any sexual activity outside of the confines of one man, one woman marriage is wrong. It's outside of God's design. That's not just homosexuality. That's heterosexuality. Premarital sex is out. Adultery is out. Polygamy is out. Any kind, it doesn't matter which way you go with it, anything outside of God's design. I'm not telling you that you have to listen to God. I'm not telling you that you have to follow Him. If you're not a believer, nobody's expecting you to, to, to grab a hold of all this stuff. I'm saying that God's design is one man, one woman, sex within those confines. That's the way that it's supposed to be. If you don't want to live with it, that, that's fine, okay? But that's the way that God set it up. And this is not about homosexuality. This is about any sexuality. And the truth is, I know some of you are going to say, well, wait a minute. Abraham had multiple wives. How does that work? I don't know. I'm going to admit it to you right there. 
God allowed that to happen. Maybe God will allow anything else to happen. I don't know. All I know is that, as I've said along the way, we're a church that believes in the Bible, and we're going to follow the Bible, and we're going to tell you, as Jesus would, I believe, that this is God's design, that sex and marriage are supposed to be together, and they're good. It's a good thing. We're already planning for an expansion to our our nursery next November when all the blizzard babies start to show up, you know? (laughs) Pretty excited about that. It's a good thing. I mean, please don't think that sexuality is a bad thing. We think that it's wonderful. And I think that Christians really ought to be focusing more on the case for biblical sexuality instead of the case against somebody else's sexuality. But in interest of completeness, I, I need to tell you that in case you're wondering what is God's design on homosexual relationships, there are plenty of scriptures in the Bible. Uh, Old Testament, New Testament, I'll just, I'll just point out a couple of them. Um, Jesus does not explicitly talk about same-sex relationships. Jesus doesn't explicitly talk about a whole lot of other things. That, that doesn't narrow anything down for me. He told us what marriage was supposed to be. I believe that if Jesus um, encountered uh, a person who was living outside of God's sexual plan, he would do the same thing he did when he found the woman who was caught in the act of adultery. He would say, you know what, I love you and I'm not going to condemn you, but you need to go now. And leave your life of sin. That's who Jesus was. Jesus was gracious and telling at the same time. And I believe that if he met a gay couple today, he would say the same thing that he said to this Samaritan woman. Now, I could try to sugarcoat it for you. I read about a guy who was uh, trying to look up his family history. And he he realized that his great-great-great-grandfather was a crook. He was a stagecoach robber and a horse thief. And was in prison for a while and escaped. And then they found him and they hung him. So he's trying to figure out how to write that in his family history. He wrote, Joseph James was a famous cowboy in the Montana Territory. He spent a period of time on the fast track with Wells Fargo. His business empire grew to include the acquisition of valuable equestrian assets. He devoted several years of his life to service at a government facility. (laughs) Finally taking leave to resume his dealings with other equestrian entrepreneurs. Joe James passed away during an important civic function held in his honor when the platform upon which he was standing collapsed. There are a lot of people out there that are going to try to candy coat this for you. They're going to try, you know, they're going to say, hey, you know what, whatever. I'm just going to, I'm just going to read from the Bible for you, okay? In Romans chapter 1, now don't lose me. Please stay with me because I want to get to Romans chapter 2 in a second. In Romans chapter 1, Paul said there were these people that God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. And as a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie. So they worshiped and served the things of God, the things that God created, instead of the creator himself who is worthy of eternal praise amen that is why god abandoned them to their shameful desires and the woman the women turned against natural way to have sex and indulged in sex with each other and the men instead of having normal sexual relations with women burned with lust for each other uh, i mean that, it's pretty clear that that was outside of god's plan and he goes on in first corinthians 6 talking to the church at corinth and he says don't you realize that those who do, do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of god don't fool yourself here's what's wrong Any sexual sin is wrong. Worshiping idols, committing adultery, male prostitutes, homosexuality, thieves. Okay? Now don't, don't, don't stop after the sex stuff. Thieves, greedy people, drunkards, the abusive, those who cheat people. I'm saying it this way because I want you to see that it's one of multiple ways We can live outside the will of God, but it's still outside the will of God. And he goes on and he says, some of you were once like that, but you were cleansed. 
You were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord and by the Spirit of our God. They had been. They had been in this. But they were no longer. They were washed. They were sanctified. I'm not, I don't think Paul's saying that these people never lied or they never were greedy or they never had sexual sin ever again. He's saying they realized what was right and they asked God to come in and make them different. Paul is clear about that, that, that any of these things on this list are outside of God's plan for your abundant life. It's possible to be made holy. It's possible to be made right from them. But any of these things is outside of that context. And, and I know if you're, if you're out there and you're from the the, the community, you, your argument for this is, well, that was about uh, ceremonial pagan things that was going on. That's what I hear from the homosexual community, that this list was about pagan things and ceremonial things. I, I, don't, I don't see that. Cheating, I mean, lying, all of those things, those weren't ceremonial. Paul's just pretty clearly saying what Jesus and everybody else has said along the way, that any sex outside man or woman for a lifetime is outside the will of God. So people ask, is Parkview an affirming church? And I always say, well, you know what? I don't like labels, except for maybe friend of sinners. I like that one. You could we keep that label. I don't like labels. And I know that affirming is code for, uh, is this a church that's going to say, well, you know what? It doesn't really matter how you live your life sexually. You know, just come on in and hang out. Um, I, I say, I'm not going to go with a label. I'm going to say Parkview is a welcoming church. We welcome people from any kind of a sinful background, any kind of sin in your life, because we're all sinners here. We welcome everybody, but I'm not going to affirm. I'm not, I'm not going to affirm to you that it's okay to live outside the will of God. That's just not going to happen. Can't happen. Which leads us to a bigger question. Did God make gay people? Did he make people gay? Florida State University classroom, they were having a discussion about uh, the qualifications to be president of the United States. It's pretty simple. The candidate must be a natural-born citizen, 35 years of age. I don't know if you know this, but that's, that's it. Natural-born, 35 years. One girl in the class immediately started in on how unfair it was that, that they be a natural-born citizen. Her opinion was that this requirement kept a lot of great people out of the potential office of the President of the United States. And the class was listening to her really, really well until she got to her closing argument and said, what makes a natural-born citizen any more qualified to lead this country than one born by C-section? Florida State. And um, listen, I'm I'm not here's what I'm not going to do. Some of you are wanting me to address the gay gene therapy, the the great gay gene theory. And I'm I'm not going to do this. I've studied it a lot. There's so many holes in it. There's so little proof that there would be a gay gene out there. It's in both of the books that I recommended to you. uh, If you want to if you want to look at it a little bit more. But it's also absolutely incorrect for me to say homosexuality is a choice. And I've said this before. Hear me out on this. I've said homosexuality is a choice. The truth of the matter is, especially after reading the Loving Homosexuals book and listening to a guy who lived it, it was not his choice. And if you're gay, you probably would agree right now that if there was a little switch that you could flip in the back of your head and and turn it off, it would probably be a lot easier on you to live your life that way. But let me say something. There are many reasons why people have desires. Some desires are good and some desires are bad. Some desires are good and they can turn bad. You can have a good desire for food like you're getting right about now 
And it could turn into a bad desire when it turns into obesity. You had a good desire for recreation, which could turn into hedonism. You could have a desire for significance, which would turn into power and pride. The list goes on and on, okay? Even good desires can go bad. And secondly, not every desire is from God. Middleburg made a great argument for this. He said, try applying the logic of, I was born with it, I can't change it, therefore it must be from God, to homophobic people who naturally hate gay people. Would we say that... Because their hatred is natural, it must be from God, and it is therefore right and acceptable? Of course not. It might seem natural to them, but it's wrong. And that would be true of people born with tendencies towards anger and violence or being addicted to drugs or alcohol. Listen to me. I have had lots of wrong desires. And the reason that I'm still married and still your pastor is because I chose not to act on some of them. Okay? So let me ask you a practical question. What kind of God do you think would create you physically to have sex with the opposite gender but gave you desires for the same gender? What kind of a malicious God would that be? Think this through with me for a second. Do you ever think about that kind of, the fact that that kind of God is not only mean, but he took away your ability to reproduce and left you on the brink of extinction? Think this all the way through. God did not make you gay. God did not make you hetero. I hated girls when I was five. They had cooties, didn't you? Okay? Your sexual orientation is developed through the formation of your identity in a lot of different ways, and there are a ton of factors involved. Okay? Let me also say that a temptation is not sin. The simple fact is some people are, by no choice of action of their own, inclined and pulled towards heterosexual temptation, and some people are inclined towards homosexual temptation. But it is not a sin until it's acted on. The young priest went to the old priest and said, Tell me, Father, how long will it be until the things of the flesh no longer have mastery over me? And the wise old priest said, My son, I wouldn't trust myself until I've been dead for three days. That's wise. Okay? Temptation is not the sin. Even Jesus was tempted. That's why the Hebrew writer said Jesus understands our weaknesses. And he came, and we can come boldly to the throne of our gracious God and receive his mercy and find grace to help us when we need it most. Jesus wants to help us overcome our temptations. And God's grace is available to all people, including our gay friends, just as it was to the Samaritan woman, just as it is to our straight friends, just as it was is and is to every one of us who has wrong desires inside of us. Don't leave me yet. Let's go back to the story. <clears throat> After raising the issue of immorality in her life, Jesus turns the discussion back to the hope-filled spiritual emphasis. Verse 23, The time is coming, indeed it is here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship Him that way. For God is spirit. Those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. And the woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. And when He comes, He'll explain everything to us. And Jesus checked this. Jesus said, I am He. I am the Messiah. Jesus doesn't put this woman down clearly to the opposite. Jesus chose this woman who was clearly living outside of God's design for her sexuality. He chose this woman to reveal his true identity as the Messiah to. He didn't do that for very many people. That's who Jesus is. It wasn't her good behavior. It was his grace that made this message possible. So then what happens? Oh, then the disciples come back. And they were shocked to find him talking to this woman. But thankfully, none of them had the nerve to ask her 
They wanted to because John writes it down. What do you want with her? Or why are you talking to her? Right? They wanted to ask him, Jesus, why in the world are you in Gamart? Why are we in Samaria in the first place? Why are you talking to this woman? Do you not know who this woman is? What are you doing? Unfortunately, these disciples are not unlike many of Jesus' present-day disciples. And instead of God's grace, they can't see past the big log in their own eye to try to get the sawdust out of somebody else's. Mark Middleberg pointed out, it's interesting, too, that the woman's reaction was to leave her water jar and clear out of the area as soon as the disciples came. While the text indicates that this was due to her excitement to run and tell her friends about what she just experienced, it's still interesting that she seemed fully comfortable with Jesus, but not so much with his friends. Similarly, people today often like Jesus, and they might like you, but they're turned off by the church and by Christians. See, the correct response would have been, well, hi, what's your name? Have you had lunch? Would you like to hang out with us? Not, why are you talking to her? So disheartening to me that so many of our young people see the church as a place that's against the gay community. It's not. We're not. Jesus isn't. Even with the legitimate biblical concerns that we've outlined already. Do you really want to be a part of a church that's against something? Because I don't know about you, but I grew up in a church that was against stuff. Did you? I grew up in a church that was against smoking and drinking and dancing. Did you see Footloose? That was my church, okay? Right? <laughs> I mean, that's what, and, and I never knew if we were against dancing because it led to premarital sex or if we were against premarital sex because it led to dancing. I couldn't figure out which one was worse, you know? I, I mean, honestly, I, smoking is bad for your body and drinking can lead to a lot of issues. But we're sitting there talking about how bad smoking is while we're at the potluck eating chocolate pie, okay? Does this make any sense to you? And I hated that we were don't drink, smoke, or chew, or go with girls that do. I don't want to be the church that's against stuff, okay? I want to be a part of a church that reflects the radiant beauty and attractiveness of Jesus' love and His mercy and His grace. Thank you. I'm glad you agree. Verse 28, the woman left her jar beside the well and ran back to the village. Telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? Seriously, not, hey, you guys, come and see these goons who are picketing in front with signs that says God hates Samaritans. No, I, I found a God who loves us. And this next verse is my favorite verse of the Bible right now. It changes for me, but it's my favorite verse of the Bible right now. So the people came streaming from the village to see him. They didn't come walking. They didn't come running. They came streaming to find a God who loves them. It's amazing, isn't it? Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman said, He told me everything I ever did. And when they came out to see him... They begged him to stay in their village. Grab a hold of this. She hadn't fixed her life yet. 
We have no record of her driving by the justice of the peace and getting married to the dude she was living with. We have no record of her putting a security deposit down on an apartment that she decided to move out to before she became a missionary. As a woman who was living outside the will of God, she became an instant missionary because when people find out that God loves them, it changes everything immediately. She became an instant missionary, and she ta- so Jesus stayed for two days, long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. And they said to the woman, now we believe, not just because of what you told us, but because we met Jesus, we've heard him ourselves, and we know he's the Savior of the world. Bill Hybel says our job is to turn atheists into missionaries. How is that possible? It is the power of God at work saving everyone who believes. That's why, this is why I wanted you to stay. After Paul talks about homosexuality being against the will of God in Romans 1, and all those other things being against the will of God in Romans 1, he comes back in Romans 2 and says, You, therefore, have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else. For at whatever point you judge the other, you are condemning yourself, because you who pass judgment are doing the very same thing. And while... You may not struggle with homosexuality. The truth is there are people in this place who within the last week lost their battle with pride or greed or lust or pornography or alcoholism or profanity or gossip or lying or stealing or heterosexual temptation. There's no us. There's no them here today, any other day. We are all in deep stuff without the grace of Jesus Christ. But like I said over and over again in the series on temptation... You can be changed. Paul said, this is what some of you were. I know some of you in the homosexual community are going to say, well, you know what, that, that's ridiculous. You, you can't change your sexual orientation. Dr. Robert Spitzer, who was one of the chief psychiatrists back in 1973, who was one of the, he was one of the leading people who was in charge of the, of the charge to take homosexuality out of the diagnostic manual of uh, aberrant sexual behavior. In 1973, they removed it from the psychological journals and said no longer is homosexuality a deviant sexual behavior because there's no way people can change. That was Dr. Robert Spitzer from Columbia University in 1973. Twenty-eight years later, he published a controversial study that said highly motivated individuals have in fact changed their orientation. And I quote, like most psychiatrists, I thought that no one could really change their sexual orientation. Now I believe that to be false. Some people can and do change. And can I remind you, if change is what you seek, I'm, I'm, I'm not telling you how to live your life, but if change is what you seek, the Bible tells us with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Uh, again, I would highly recommend loving homosexuals as Jesus would. He was a gay man who has come back and uh, become in a heterosexual relationship, and he writes all about it, and it's really, really an interesting story. And I also want to tell you, that I know a great many of people who are single for any number of reasons, a hetero or homosexual orientation, who said, you know what, I realized that God's plan is sex within marriage, and so I'm going to be celibate. I read a daily devotion every day from a homosexual writer named Dr. Henry Nowen. He was one of the great Catholic writers of the 20th century, one of the most spiritual men I've ever read. And every day I get an email from his uh, foundation. He's passed away. I get an email, and it's beautiful stuff. And he's a homosexual that decided to live his entire life in celibacy because he believed that that was God's will for him. 
If I could sum this up, would Jesus have gay friends? The answer is yes. Would he approve of sexual relationships outside of marriage? No. But let me continue. Would Jesus have adulterous friends? Yes. Would he approve of their sexual choices? No. He said to the woman, I'm not condemning you, but stop. I can do, don't, don't, go leave the life of sin. Would Jesus have greedy friends? Yes. Would he approve of their greed? No. Would he have lying friends? Yes. Would he approve of their lying? No. Would he have addicted friends? Yes. Would he approve of it? No. He would say, I don't condemn you, but you can let God change you. And I believe that God says to me, Tim, when your drivenness to succeed pushes you to the point that your accomplishments are more about your pride than they are the service to the kingdom, then you need to let God change you. And when you are lusting in your heart and with your eyes, it's a sin and you need to let God change you. And when you're greedy, it's a sin and you need to let God change you and all these things are are wrong and you need to let God change them in your heart and all of us need to let God change them in our heart but my love for you is not ever going to change my grace defines you not your sin God would say the reason I'm against your sin is because it keeps you from being all that I meant you to be it distorts and detracts from my image in you and it pulls you away from me and I want you back Andrew Marin, in his book, Love is an Orientation, said he was reading, and, uh, and that's a phenomenal other book on uh, the de- dealing with homosexuality. Andrew Marin's doing a great ministry in Boys Town in Chicago. He writes about Ann Graham Lotz, Billy Graham's daughter, um, re- recalling her fondest memories of her dad. And one of her fond memories was at a rally in support of President Bill Clinton after the sex scandal was made public. And a reporter asked Billy Graham, why are you here supporting this man after everything he has done to this country? And Reverend Reverend Graham's answer was succinct, powerful, and true. He said, it is the Holy Spirit's job to convict. It is God's job to judge. It is my job to love. So after Paul gets done with Romans 1 and telling us that all these things are sinful and outside the will of God, then he goes to Romans 2 and he says, we're all the same if we're judging each other. We're just like them. He gets to Romans 3 and he says, so there is no difference homosexual heterosexual whatever there is no difference for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of god and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came from christ jesus tony campolo tells a story about being in hawaii and he's from philadelphia and he was in Hawaii, and, you know, when you cross that many time barriers, your clock is just messed up. So he was up at 3 o'clock in the morning because it was like 8 o'clock to him. He was up at 3 o'clock in the morning, and he was hungry for breakfast. And the only place he could find was this greasy diner that was open at 3 o'clock in the morning. And so he went in to get some food. And, uh, and as he's sitting there talking to Harry, the, you know, the greasy old uh, guy that runs the thing, he's sitting there talking to Harry, and all of a sudden these two prostitutes come in. I mean, you didn't want to stereotype them, but they were obviously prostitutes. I mean, you could tell the way they were dressed and what they were doing. And they came in and they started talking. They didn't really notice Tony that much. He was just sitting there feeling really uncomfortable. And they're talking to each other. And the one girl turns to the other girl and she says, Hey, tomorrow's my birthday. And the other girl goes, Well, big deal. What do you want me to do? Throw you a party? You want me to get you a cake? I mean, what do you expect out of me? And the other girl says, Hey, you don't have to bust my chops. I'm just telling you it was my birthday. Okay? In 39 years, I've never had a birthday party. You know, sometimes, sometimes we look down on people that aren't living their life the way that God wants them to or the way that we think they ought to, and we don't have any idea what's driven them to that place. She said, in 39 years, I've never had a birthday party. And they left a little bit later. Tony turned to Harry. He said, hey, Harry, who's that girl that was just in here? 
Oh, he said, that's Agnes. She's one of the good ones, man. She's a, she's a good girl. She comes in here every night. Tony said, Harry, what do you think about us throwing her a birthday party tomorrow night? Harry's eyes lit up. He said, that's an awesome idea. I love that idea. Let's do it. Tony said, I'll get the decorations. I'll get the cake. Harry said, no, no, I'll get the cake. The cake's on me. I'll make the cake. I want to do it. And so they got it together and they said, let's put the word out. And so Harry, the whole rest of the night, the whole rest of the day, started putting the word out that tomorrow night at 3 o'clock in the morning, we're going to have a birthday party for Agnes. And the place just started buzzing. And so Tony got there a little early and he put up the decorations and Harry had the cake. And Agnes walks in about 3 o'clock in the morning. And she walked in and they all did the normal thing. And they all went, surprise! And she lost it. She just had never, ever experienced anything like that in her life. And, and finally, Harry lit the candles and said, Come on, Agnes, come over here and blow out the candles. And she, and she was so choked up, she couldn't get breath out to blow the candles out. So Harry blew them out for her. And he said, Come on, Agnes, cut the cake. And Agnes, who by this time knew that Tony was the one who'd put this together, turned to Tony and said, Hey, mister, do you mind if I don't cut the cake? You mind if I, I take it and show it to my mom? My mom's never seen a birthday cake. And Tony said, well, it's your cake. Do whatever you want. She said, I just live a couple doors away. I just want to go show it to her. Then I'll bring it back and we'll eat it. Tony said, great. So she walks out the door and there's this awkward silence. And Tony said, every once in a while, God just makes you do weird things. So I turned to this crowd full of prostitutes and said, let's pray. And I bowed my head, and I prayed for Agnes. I prayed that Agnes would understand how much God loved her, and that Agnes would be safe. And for her birthday, that we could celebrate this. He said, I, I just prayed this really pretty good prayer about Agnes and the love and the grace of Jesus Christ. And when I closed and said amen, Harry leaned across the counter. He said, hey, I didn't know you were a preacher. Tony said, sorry, dude. Harry said, what kind of church do you preach at? Tony said, it was another one of those moments when the Holy Spirit gave me the right thing to say. And he said, I preach at a church that throws parties for prostitutes in the middle of the night. <laughs> and Harry said, no, you don't. Because if there was a church like that, I'd join it. 